saw a horse on Facebook at like a kill pen and I had no idea what that was. I thought, oh my gosh, that doesn't sound good. Is this a scam? Are people really killing horses? Is it for glue? Is it for animal food? I had no idea that there was this whole underbelly to human meat consumption. Welcome to Her Drive Podcast, a female-focused interview series with women of the world discussing their road trips to success. I'm your host, Cindy Cramblett, a travel expert, business owner, and curious spirit with a knack for meeting fascinating women. Please join me as I hop in the passenger seat and chat with these ambitious women about what drives them, twists and turns, and those pedal-to-the-metal moments. Let's drive. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Her Drive Podcast. I am excited for this chat. It's taken us a few months to connect, but finally here we are at the end of 2022. And today's guest is Kate Luca. She is of Lucky Break Rescue. I grew up with horses and they still play a very important role in my family's life and in mine when I get to go back and visit my family. And my sister's had a few rescues she didn't go through an organization, but through a friend. So I don't really know anything about this side of animal rescue and what that means and why you got started, but I'm pumped, Kate, to have you. Welcome to Her Drive. Oh my gosh. Well, thank you so much, Cindy. I'm so glad we were finally able to connect. And to your point, what a great way to close out 2022, kick off 2023. I can't believe it's 2023 already. I think we lost like two years to the COVID craziness, but excited to share all things horse rescue. I love that we have a rescue connection with your family. I The more the merrier. We need more people at the table talking about this, raising awareness and educating other people because even when I got into horse rescue seven years ago, I had no idea that horse slaughter was even a thing. I grew up as the kid that always wanted to be around horses, did not come from a horse or ranching or equestrian family. So they were something that was sort of mystical to me as a little girl. And so to learn that they were being exported to be slaughtered abroad, American horses, that was pretty eye-opening in my late 20s. That's so interesting. So walk me through like your upbringing. You're from the Midwest, right? And then what led you to creating this organization? Sure. So I always grew up with rescue animals. My mom's got a huge heart. She's got a bigger heart than I do. So we always had rescue cats, dogs. Some Sometimes we would rehabilitate wildlife. My mom's a biology teacher by trade. And so I started rescuing dogs in my teens, early 20s, started with pointing uh breeds, hunting dogs, started a small dog rescue there because I saw a huge need. I had hunting dogs myself and then saw a horse on Facebook at like a kill pen. And I had no idea what that was. I thought, oh my gosh, that doesn't sound good. Is this a scam? Are people really killing horses? Is it for glue? Is it for animal food? I had no idea that there was this whole underbelly to human meat consumption. Um, so I guess the journey for me was animal loving kid because that's how I was raised by my mom and dad, teenager, young adult that was rescuing dogs. And then it sort of morphed into this horse rescue because ultimately I could have as many horses as I wanted at the rescue. Um, it wasn't as physically constraining as dog rescue was, you know, when they're in your house. Um, so rescued one horse, he looked just like the Appaloosa that I rode as a six-year-old when I started with Western Pleasure back home in Iowa. Midwest girls are the best. Um, so I leased him, you know, paid to take lessons, paid to show him. 
and his name was Dan. So this first Appaloosa that I rescued looked just like him. Um, I figured I'll do PayPal goods and services. If it is a scam, I'll get my money back. And sure enough, Zane showed up. Uh, He was my first rescue probably 450 horses ago, eight years ago. Wow. Yeah. So he started all of this. Uh, I bought a failing trail ride business and thought, wow, how cool would it be if I could generate enough revenue with my side hustle, the trail ride business, to rescue a few horses every year? And I just kept rescuing better and better horses. They would graduate from being my or Wrangler horses to guest horses pretty quickly. Um, And so the business, Corral West, my LLC, funded the 501c3 Lucky Break Rescue. So that's the quick and really dirty of it. Um, You know, there's a legislative loophole where horse slaughter export is legal. So you cannot legally slaughter horses in the United States, but it is legal to export them to Mexico, Canada, even Asia. Um, So that's sort of where this meat market came from. I see. So when you first saw that that post and um, and were asking the questions like, what do they use them for? Are they turning them into glue? Right. It's like the most common um, conception. Meat. Uh, what what did your research find the uses? So my research found that actually when so I work in politics in my real real job, and a lot of times there are unintended consequences of legislative action, and so a lot of well meaning people had horse slaughter outlawed here in the United States. But what that actually did was drive the price of horse meat up uh, abroad in Mexico and Canada. So what I actually found, and mind you, this was eight years ago, um, 100,000 American horses were being slaughtered every year in Mexico and Canada. Um, Now, fast forward to after seven, eight years of work, with a whole slew of people. You know, when I started, I felt like I was on an island. I had no idea what I was doing. I was trying to save a couple horses here and there because I knew it mattered to them. But now I think those numbers are down to below 30,000 a year. So I I think that with awareness, people are, are being more careful about when they sell their horses, taking them to auction, making sure they're doing their due diligence when they sell their animals. Um, you know, I think conscientious breeding is also really important. Um, backyard breeding is a huge problem, whether it's horses or dogs. There's good breeders and there's people who shouldn't be breeding. No matter, no matter what way you slice it. Um, so I think over the last seven to eight years, we've raised awareness and, and hopefully, and, and also for me, it's important to talk about as a rescue, the importance of humane euthanasia. If there's an animal that's, you know, has some sort of disease that it's not going to come back from, if it's so lame, it's, it's three leg lame. Uh, you know, we as horse owners and as horse lovers, we have to do better for our animals at the end of their life too, because we've pulled a lot of senior horses that it ended up being the humane and ethical thing to do to euthanize them. Mm, I see. Um, when you talk about backyard breeding, um, what what does that mean? So a lot of times, you know, it's probably up for interpretation, but for me, backyard breeding in both the dog situation and the horse situation there are folks out there who are just looking to make a quick buck on the next litter of pups or the next cute colt that they're going to raise. Um, you know, genetic testing hasn't been done on both parents. People are buying the animal without seeing both mother and father. And, and this goes for both dogs and horses. Um, and they're not really registered, you know, to me, unless you're breeding something that's papered both parents, you're not actually adding value to that animal. 
Okay. Uh, I've never heard it explained like that, but that makes a lot of sense. So in the cases where people are doing the backyard breeding, is there a way to kind of follow the trail as to what happens to um, these colts? Yeah. So, so that's really the tough part. A lot of times when we get a horse at either a low dollar auction, where we try to outbid the kill buyers, that way we're cutting them off at the source. Or if we pull from a kill pen that we know actually has a USDA contract to ship to Mexico, we pull a lot from Texas just because of the proximity to Arizona and the border, the Southern border. Um, you know, that Coggins paperwork is a lot of times the only paperwork that we have, you know, that this horse was blood tested to be used for meat and that's it. Um, so I think a lot of the issues and mistreatment. So for me, what's really concerning is the neglect, starvation and mistreatment of a lot of these animals prior to ending up in a really crappy situation. Um, a lot of that comes from a lack of oversight. You know, if you can dump your horse, give it a number, no one knows your name, you're never going to get in legal trouble. Why wouldn't you starve your horse to make $200? I mean, a lot of these people are making profit off of breeding or neglecting their animals. That's fascinating to me because, I mean, I grew up on a farm. Both sets of grandparents were farmers. And one focused on um, beef and sheep. And and I may not be remembering this correctly, but it just seemed like it makes more sense if you're selling a market animal that you want it to be big. Yes. Wrong. So why would horse, why would the owner of the horse want to starve it just because they're trying to save money on, on feed or why would somebody buy an animal for that looks so sickly? And that's what's so frustrating. You know, you and I were talking about being Midwest girls. I grew up in Iowa, you know, corn, hogs, I'm not a vegan, you know, I somewhat operate in this gray area because horses that are broke to ride and have done their service for people, they deserve better. That's where I'm Mm -hmm. coming from. Um, You know, we've taken our rescues to brandings. I have no problem vaccinating, branding, castrating a calf. Um, But for me, you're right. There's not even a valuable incentive for these people to take care of their animals. They're not following the same rules as beef, sheep, pork producers, um, you know, even chicken producers, even the the birds that my husband and I hunt are treated more ethically than these horses that are harvested for meat. Um, so you're absolutely right. I, you know, they fill these semi loads and I think it's the law of averages. They're going to have some big drafts on there from Amish country. They're going to have some horses that are starved from Texas that people couldn't afford to feed anymore. Um, you're right. There's just there's no rules to it because it doesn't happen here in the United States. Mm. That's so fascinating when you get down to the nuances of it all. So there's no, there's not a lot of regulation other than what the, this Coggins test in order for them to just verify that they don't have Coggins disease, right? Exactly. So it's a simple, you know, positive, negative, a vet comes out, I think mass blood tests, everything at the ship pen. Um, and obviously they're not supposed to ship if they're positive for Coggins, but they're also not t- supposed to ship blind horses, bred mares, horses that can't stand on their own. And I've seen it all and it's pretty horrifying oh, because man. yeah, all, all the, all the livestock production places that I've been a part of, whether back home in Iowa, if it was a feedlot or out West, you know, gathering cattle, they are treated with respect. Um, And it's almost like it's created this underbelly of meat production where these guys who don't want to follow the rules are profiting millions and millions of dollars. That's fascinating to me. So um, outside of 
you know, rescuing horses. Are is your organization pushing for legislation of any sort? Yeah, so you know, over the years we've been able to build some really great coalitions with folks that have even bigger followings than me, even bigger connections uh, than I do. We've gotten the attention of some celebrities, which I think will help shift the paradigm so that people are talking about it. Um, And also through my customers, you know, we'd have thousands of people come to Phoenix to ride the horses every winter and just having those one-on-one conversations to say, hey, did you know this is happening? Did you know these people aren't following the same rules as, you know, the awesome rancher down the road? I think that's been the biggest change, those anecdotal stories and just raising awareness. Um, Every year, the SAFE Act gets closer and closer to being passed in Congress. Um, It's always supported with bipartisan support, which is really important to me. Um, And I think the first step really is bringing horse slaughter back to the United States, where it can create American jobs and be done humanely as sort of a step in the right direction. That's so interesting. So, um, the SAFE Act, is that an acronym? And what and what does it all entail? Yes, SAVE American. I don't remember what the actual acronym is. I'd have to look it up. I can Google really quick. Um, but it is an acronym. Um, and it's actually been supported pretty bipartisanly, which which I think is, is really great. I think the first step, anytime you're trying to do sweeping, comprehensive legislative reform, is to start baby stepping, moving the Overton window back toward what you want. Do I want any horses to be slaughtered? No. Do I think that's going to happen in one congressional committee meeting? No, if it even makes it to the floor. But I do think the start of that is let's bring it back stateside. Let's ask for the same regulations that the other players are having to follow. You know, if if the pork producers have to follow these ridiculous rules, you know, my friend owns a livestock auction and they aren't even allowed to hotshot animals that were raised for human, you know, these, they're not even allowed to hotshot animals that were literally raised for human consumption. They've had no human interaction. Um, and the other concerning piece that I think should be regulated, the drug steroids, butte, everything that's in these horses, is it even safe for humans to be consuming is, is the other question. Mm, interesting. Yeah. I think, I mean, uh, <clears throat> eating horses such, it seems to be so taboo. And admittedly, I've had it a few times um, in Canada and in Europe. And um, when I've told people, you know, I've consumed horse and I've consumed a lot of animals all over the world um, when it's like a cultural thing. I'm like, oh, let me try it. Part of like who I am. Um, (laughs) And you'd never never eat beef in India, you know. Exactly. Exactly. So I feel like with with, – even like horse slaughter coming back into the States, maybe consumption would still be relatively low stateside just due to most people looking at horses the way that I 99.9% of my life have looked at them um, as this majestic creature for looking at it in a field or riding it or perhaps perhaps using it as a workhorse in some way. Um, so I wonder how much, how, what the market would be like. Yeah, I I don't know. And I haven't really looked at numbers from before it was illegal here. You know, I sort of jumped in after it had been moved to the northern and southern border. Um, But I do think that's a step in the right direction. And for me, what's most concerning is the lack of humane treatment of these animals. You know, they're shoved into semis. They're modified slaughterhouses that weren't even built for horse processing, really. So you've got horses that are having to be bolted, 
numerous times because it's a modified cattle operation. Um, so For those who don't know what bolted is, can you explain it? Yeah. So a lot of times people don't realize when, let's say a cow is being processed or slaughtered, they get one bolt to the head. And because of the way the skull of a cow is, it incapacitates them. It's painless, kills them almost immediately. Because the last thing you want, as you and I know, growing up in the Midwest, is your animals being under stress because it actually affects the quality of the meat. Um, you know, my husband's a big archery hunter and he'll only take, take out a bull elk if he's got a clean shot. Um, because we want that meat, that meat feeds us for almost all of the, all of the year. So these horses, you know, when they're being transported for 20 some hours without food and water on these semi trucks to Mexico, to a modified plant, the horse skull is actually very different than a bovine skull. Um, and Temple Grandin has done a ton of work on, you know, cows and how they're processed and slaughtered, you know, and I wish horses were treated with the same sort of respect at least. Of course, of course. And um, what year was it outlawed and, and why did, did it go away? I think that was, let me look that up. So I know I've been doing this for about eight, eight years and it was right before. Um, so probably, you know, 2000 teens. Wow. I didn't realize it was that recently. Yeah. Let's see. When was horse? I need, you know how Joe Rogan has his guy? That's what we need. Okay. So yes, is- we need our own Jamie. <laughs> we need a Jamie. Like Jamie, look it up. We need this picture. We need this. Um, yeah. So it looks like it was outlawed in 2005. Okay. Um, and the numbers have been declining. And I think that was probably a, bo- you know, kind of a boomerang effect of um, people outlawed it. Price went up of meat, supply and demand in Mexico and Canada. Because you're right, you know, there's a lot of French influence in Canada. So there, it's probably less taboo to consume horses. There's also a big market in Asia, especially for donkeys, um, the tissue between donkey's skin and their muscle is actually used as an aphrodisiac. So a lot of, yeah, a lot of donkeys are actually end up in Japan and Asia. I didn't know that. So they're eating the, is the fascia? Yeah. So I think it? it's, I think they actually make a tea out of it and they say that it's, you know, a sexual enhancer or an aphrodisiac. So, so I'm with, I'm with you. I, I find myself in the gray area a lot of times because I am a, a, pragmatist. Um, you know, we will euthanize if it's the right decision. I am pro agriculture. I'm pro rancher. Um, you know, I love the West. The West is my home. And for me, it's really about the ethical treatment of these horses. Um, and these people that don't have to follow the rules, these horses that maybe should have been euthanized because they paid their dues for 25 years to someone. Um, you know, I have my first rescue horse. He's, earned me more money as a trail horse taking care of kids for seven years that no matter what, he will never leave me because he's paid his dues. And I know that that's not everyone's mentality, but I think as horse people, we have to be better too. Yeah. I think it's more than just being horse people, but just animal lovers in general. And it also kind of looks, I think there's this like connection even with the elders of the Western culture, especially here in the States where instead of taking care of them at home and really giving them a high quality of life, a lot of times people's grandparents or parents end up in these really terrible, you know, late term facilities and they're not looked after. Obviously they're not, most of the time they're not being, they're not being slaughtered and eaten, right? (laughs) But they're being used and abused by a lot of times their caretakers. Um, Oh, there just seems to be this lack of compassion for 
anything that's late in their in their life. And I don't come from a family that treats animals and people that way. And it blows my mind that that's how people can exist <laughs> guilt-free. Yeah. Well, yeah. And I think I think there's a lot to be said about the way we treat anyone, anything that's of no use to us anymore. Um, you know, and, and for me, these horses that maybe couldn't do a full day on the ranch or they were broke down team roping horses, they came to Corral West. They need a little bit of supplement. They need a little bit of maintenance. They need injections here and there. But they created so much value for me that it really opened my eyes to that. You know, one man's trash. You know, if you can't pull a plow 12 hours a day anymore in Amish country, you know, some little kid would love to have you. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's been really cool for me to see the broken and see, you know, who can who actually needs this horse? Is it is it a great therapy horse? Is it a great trail horse? Is it that autistic, autistic kid's first pony? Um, and so I think you're right. I think we're almost living in the, this time where if something breaks, we just throw it away. Mm-hmm. No matter what it is. so key. Like a lot of times these animals need supplements and prop, just a little bit of like extra attention. It's not much that they need. And no. they have so – like a human being, like we all have different uses and abilities. You just have to provide the correct environment for that person's abilities. And like I don't bounce back from a hangover like I did in my <laughs> early 20s, right? Like I need some Tylenol from time to time. I need to take a longer nap. And so I think – as I've grown and owned my business and transitioned from someone in my twenties with this dream to someone in my thirties, it's, it's been really cool to give these guys a second wind, a second purpose. It's given me a purpose. Um, and I just really think, you know, to me, these are senior dogs at a shelter. That's the equivalent, you know, that were once someone's pet and got replaced by a puppy. Um, so a lot of times we are pulling the senior been there, done that, you know, I see. Someone didn't take care of their feet and their teeth, and that's an easy fix. And they put weight yeah. on right away. So, that's yeah. I mean, so, so many times horses, like if they have a, a tooth issue, right? They can't really consume their food. They just keep dropping it yeah. out of their mouths, right? Yeah. yeah. Mm. Um, what are some. I hate to go to the dark side, but I think it's really important to focus on this. Is there anything that's like been really horrific that you've seen? Oh, gosh. Um, I actually shared this on another podcast, but truly it is the the most horrific thing I've seen. Uh, we rescued, we had a donor, we have amazing donor partners who are very generous and they believe in what we do. Otherwise I couldn't do this because horses are so expensive and the price of feed for normal people has allowed horses to end up in crappy positions and we're paying for expensive feed too. Um, we had a generous donor bail an unhandled mare and we knew she was about two years old And then our quarantine facility picked her up and they sent me pictures of her teeth and her mouth in the chute because she wasn't really handled or halter broke. And they said, "Uh, she's maybe two and she's about to, like, she's bagged up. She's about to deliver a foal. I was like, wait, what? So someone had turned, speaking of backyard breeding, their stud horse out with probably all their mares unhandled. So they added no value to the mares, no vet care, no. So she was probably bred as a yearling. Um, so got her to our place, uh, you know, tried to get her as comfortable as possible. She delivered a stillborn that was probably almost half her size, um, is what our vet said. And it split her completely open. Um, we spent $2,000 on full vaginal reconstruction on this poor horse that, <laughs> I don't know, she was worth nothing at the time, nothing. Um, you know, my vet 
Dr. Kleppe, he actually passed away. He was always very good to us in our mission. He said, I'm not going to charge you anymore. This is literally the saddest thing I've seen. And he retired from veterinary medicine in my entire career. Um, you know, she couldn't stand my Wranglers had to, and I had to put her on a piece of plywood to get her in the trailer, to get her to the emergency vet. The coolest thing though, she just won a barrel race last month. She is breakaway roping. Um, it sounds dumb, but I cry every time Luna and her new mom, her forever home, like they're just kicking ass and crushing it. Oh and my God. I think her adoptive mom doesn't even know how bad she was when we got her. Um, but, you know, to be that failed by people mm. and then to find this person and you're out beating AQHA registered horses that were probably five figures and mm-hmm. you were, you know, I'm at a, a loss financially with her but that's not what it's about. Yeah. That's a beautiful story. Absolutely. Wow. Hmm. And then, you know, even, even my Zane, when I got him and I was living in the Midwest at the time, the vet was like, you may as well just dig a hole. You know, I don't even know if he's going to make it. And now we've had eight years of adventures together from Wyoming to Arizona to Utah. Um, He's taken out thousands of kids for me made me a ton of money and 400 and some other horses are safe because of him, because he's been such a good horse, mm. you know, and I, I cried like a baby when he was on a Wrangler ad because yeah. I'm, I'm sure he's among many high dollar horses. And he was my $800 chance. It led, <laughs> it led to literally a, a crazy, insane business idea. And, you know, we now have 47 some thousand followers following our escapades because of him. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think of all the other horses that have been given a chance because of him in the last seven years. That just shows you like how really one person, one horse can make such a big difference. Yeah. It it sounds cheesy, but I, I was just like, man, I, my goal was to save like three horses a year on the profits that I had from leasing someone else's herd. And every mm-hmm. year I just kept rescuing better and better horses for mm-hmm. less money than I was paying to rent horses. And I was like, holy shit, maybe we're on, maybe we're onto something here. Um, and it's just been really cool. Cause you know, as women, people will be like, oh, you can't do that. Or, you know, and, uh, they told me, no, you know, a lot of the good old boys told me you can't have a dude string with mares, especially in the spring when they're in heat. We had almost all mares in our dude string. Um, you know, you can't have kill pen auction horses, owner surrender horses. They're all going to be crazy or cripple or lame. And the first time I had 12 rescue horses go out in a dude string with a Wrangler in the front and the back. And I'm not a crier. I just cried like a baby because <laughs> it was like, man, they've given me more than I've given them. Mm-hmm. You know, and we've done therapy lessons and horses are pretty special. And so it's been really cool for me to just be a small piece of that. Well, sure. Well, it sounds like, um, you know, a bit about like horse human heart coherence. And there is this magical connection between us two creatures. Yeah. And I I don't know what it is. I think there's almost an evolutionary pull there. You know, Mm -hmm. I didn't, I didn't grow up in a horse family. My parents worked their tails off so I could go to lessons. I remember being so nervous and throwing up as a little girl in a borrowed truck and trailer with my borrowed horse, because I was competing against these kids that came from fifth generation ranches. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I'm just doing this because I want to be around the animal. Uh, And I think even as an adult now, sort of have imposter syndrome because I'm first generation. I only ride rescue horses that other people poo-poo. You know, it's almost come full circle 
And it's been really cool with my horse friends to say, well, have you tried a rescue or have you tried going to that crappy auction, crappy, um, and finding that diamond in the rough? And I don't know. So it's, it's been an interesting journey and definitely not one that I expected. Mm. And how do you think that you've transformed through this process? Oh man. Well, personally, um, you know, I was, going through a huge life change when I bought the ranch. Um, and so it was just me and the rescues for a while and some really good wranglers who believed in me, some good old cowboys. Um, you know, I met my husband during the journey. And so I always tell people the horses saved me, you know, they, and so I feel like I owe it to them, to all of them. You know, they've made me a better businesswoman. They've made me a better person. They've built great relationships. You know, some of my best friends, best girlfriends that I have now, I met on the rescue journey. Uh, you know, they've a lot, I've always been an outspoken, passionate person, but I've tried to operate less in the gray area and just stand up for what I've seen, what I know, whether it's the horses or something else. Um, and, you know, there was a time in my life when I dreaded turning 30, like, oh my gosh, that's so old. <sighs> my life's going to end as I know it. And now in my early 30s, because I live with purpose, Every year I become more and more me. And that's thanks to those guys too. Mm, that's so beautiful. Like I, I remember being 28, 29 and just, you know, it's, it's hard for women to get older, no matter how old you are. Men, they age like fine wine, those bastards. I, uh, I hear you. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Like my husband gets a little gray hair and he looks better. His beard looks better, whatever. Um, and so I think the other thing, that the horses have allowed me and having the following and being a small business owner, I've gotten to go speak at other female events and getting to talk to those women in their early twenties, you know, leave that toxic situation, chase that dream. Like if you leap the net, the net will appear. I have wonderful family and support system, but I've gotten to meet some really awesome women who are also pursuing their dreams and making the world just a little bit better, even if it's just for their own family. And that's been really fulfilling for me. That's so beautiful. What an amazing reach and, and purpose-driven life, it seems, that you're living. And my husband does balance me out. So um, he is the yin to my yang. I, mm -hmm. I'm a big I, – I tell all my girlfriends that are younger, I'm like, read Rocket Fuel, whether it's work, life. You know, I'm the visionary and he's the implementer. And I really appreciate that. You know, mm -hmm. I'll have this crazy idea like, oh, my gosh, let's ride the rescues – across Arizona. And, and he's like, okay, when, where, how? Um, and so I think it's great that we have people to balance us, whether it's a romantic partner, a friend, business associate. Um, so yeah, I, I feel like I owe a lot of what I've learned the last seven years to the rescues and to just slow down every summer, they get to have summer pasture. So they go to Utah or Wyoming, they get to graze all summer and they get to mm -hmm. do nothing. Um, mm. And I know you're the same. I need to be a little better about I go, go, go. I need to be better about taking the time to just reset too. Absolutely. Well, do you have any like rituals or habits that you use either daily, weekly, monthly, annually that center you and slow you down just a little bit? Oh my gosh. I, in, in full disclosure, I should be better about that. Uh, my <laughs> husband and I, like, I am really the wrong person to ask. Um, I love Asana task manager just because a lot of times I'll wake up and I'll think I have my to-do list. So using apps just to help myself stay organized is really great. I love to read. Um, you know, I, I geek out on policy stuff. So my guilty pleasure is fiction. I love historical fiction reading. Um, 
I try to be good about podcasts, so I'm really excited to be on your podcast. Uh, I love to just listen to podcasts and learn something new that's totally not related to my work, to horses, um, while I'm doing housework. So, but in truth, I need to be better. I love yoga. I love spin class, but I don't prioritize them the way that mm-hmm. I should. Mm, I hear you. I feel like we all have that like should in the back of our mind, but there's so many forms of meditation. So I think like even like reading a book in a way is like escaping reality of sorts and just diving in. And like you, I, I enjoy a whole host of topics and like Google is maybe like my third favorite activity, like Googling things I'm like, Oh, and then I go down to the, the rabbit hole. Yep. Yeah, for sure. Um, and, and, you know, it can't, I can't beat a bath with a glass of wine. That's, that's probably my favorite. I know that's not mm-hmm. official meditation, but it's like, I'm going to turn my phone off. I'm going to listen mm-hmm. to a podcast. I'm going to put it on do not disturb and just have mm-hmm. a quiet hour to myself. Mm-hmm. I think that's, again, it's a, it's, it's, not, it's like not the, the typical label of meditation, but it's definitely self-care baby girl. <laughs> Thank you for enabling me. I'm like, yeah, of course, up for all the wines, bath. Um, but I should be better about yoga because I I do love it. It's just mm-hmm. as as you know, you're you're on the go all the time. I I sometimes envy people with nine to fives because I would love to be able to just go to yoga at eight o'clock every morning. Yes, I feel the same way. I but also I'm like, oh, but I'm on this beautiful mountain right now, and they're stuck at their office and it's a Wednesday afternoon. <laughs> yes. Yes. And I'm, I'm hiking somewhere new and beautiful. So it's totally okay that I'm not going to the gym today. So yeah. Yeah. I, I know, I know you're in the same boat. And so it's hard for me because I'm not a structured person and I'm very fly by the seat of my pants. I should be better about having a daily, weekly, monthly mm-hmm. routine. Mm-hmm. Well, if you could go back in time and um, give a younger you some words of advice, uh, what age would you be? And what would you say? Oh man. You know, I was a perfectionist in high school and college, dean's list, graduated early from both. I think going back and telling my younger self, hey, everything you're planning, none of it's going to happen the way that you're expecting. And it's going to be so beautiful. And then I think the other time jump I would do even further back is to six-year-old me, nervous at that horse horse show, feeling like an imposter, like, hey, you're never going to not feel like an imposter, but you are going to do something really great for these animals. Um, you know, I'm, I remember every Christmas since it's almost Christmas praying to Santa, like, please, I want a horse in my backyard in suburbia. Right. Like not realizing the financial implications on my parents, not realizing Santa doesn't exist, but to be able to tell younger me, Hey, you're going to have that Appaloosa and you're going to have 400 and some others that you've saved. Um, Mm -hmm. So, but I, but I love that question. Even when I'm talking to other young female entrepreneurs, I always ask them, I'm like, would six-year-old you be, be proud of where you're at? Whether it's your personal life, business life, work life, travel life, you know, what are you leaving on the table? Because if it all ends tomorrow, you know, I, and I know you're the same, you, you seize life. I could, on, if, if the world ended tomorrow, I would be really happy with where I'm at. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people live in that cubicle nine to five. Mm-hmm. Which we thank you all for because somebody has to do yep. that work. But and, you know, and some people you, love that. Yeah, yeah, they love it. They live for it. But I always encourage people. I'm like, whenever someone says to me, "I wish I could do that. I would really like to do that." Those two phrases. I'm like, well, make the choice. 
just make the choice to do it. There's always a way to, to figure things out. And, um, I mean, I'm unburdened with children. I adopted a kitty cat and recently <laughs> and she, she's like, I've, I grew up with kit cats and or cats and animals and all the different types of creatures. And I'm sorry, everyone, I'm going to just sidebar completely. I love um, sidebars. Yeah. But I'm, I was unsure. I didn't even meet her in person. She was, she hid and I couldn't see her, but, and I kept praying like, okay, when it's time for me to get a pet, like help me find the right one. And I tried for like a year to get a little animal and it never worked out. But finally I adopt this little kitten and she hid underneath my sofa and my bed for a couple of weeks. Wouldn't let me pet her like nothing. And I was starting to worry, like, is she not going to do well here? And then there was this part of my brain was like, well, I guess you don't have to keep her. But then the other part of me was like, you absolutely have to keep her. Just give her time. Just give her time. She needs you. You need her. And what I've learned from her in the last few months is just like be very discerning about who you give your love to. It's okay to keep your distance until you feel comfortable. And then once you feel comfortable, like be a total love bug. Because now she like follows me around absolutely everywhere. And I truly believe that by giving our love to another person, to an animal, whatever it may be, and give them gentle love, like don't try to force it. It allows for a much more beautiful relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, so whether it's a horse or a cat or a dog or a rabbit or whatever, I love a little animal, right? Well, and I, I loved your story because sometimes they just pick pick me and I don't know how to explain it. And I've been on other podcasts where they're like, well, how do you pick this horse or that horse? And I'm like, I, I honestly don't know. I really don't. I mean, a few times we'll rescue a horse that we know we'll be able to adopt out to put more funds back into the rescue. But for the most part, just like your cat, they they just pick me sometimes and it's so weird because I don't mm-hmm. even see them in person sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you just know. We, we don't deserve animals, that's for sure. I agree. So when, um, when someone's do- adopting from y'all, like mm-hmm. what's the process? Um, so actually, we've been really fortunate. Most of our adoptions have gone to either friends, friends of friends. Um, we do do reference checks. That's really important to me. We've started freeze branding the horses. That way, if someone does break their adoption contract that we require, people know, you know, I, I even have it tattooed. People know that those are lucky break horses. We will mm-hmm. always buy them back. Um, so we do do a buyback contract where we get first right of refusal. We do reference checks, um, you know, and we do our best. I try to know the horses so well that I can match them to someone that I know is looking. Um, right now we have a lot of, quite a few projects. Um, I've sort of in a season of adding value to horses that other people didn't want or were intimidated by. So we've got three in training right now. So I don't have any available, which is weird for me, but it's been cool to watch these horses go from kind of unhandled problematic to let's spend the time and money and get them to a really good trainer and add a ton of value to them so that they never end up in a bad situation again. Sure. And with um, when you say a horse is problematic, what does that typically look like? Um, so it just depends. One, he bucked me off too, actually. Um, got dumped by a ranch because he'd blow up from time to time. We got him to our place, got him adjusted by a chiropractor, just like people. You know, mm. it may have been a pain response. It may have been a clash of personality response. Um I love this horse. And I thought, we're one. Like, I've I've gotten you adjusted. You're moving good. And I think he was feeling too good. I had a beer in my hand, like, swung my leg over. There was chaos happening at the ranch. Um, so that was a wake-up call for me, too, because out of 
however many horses. I've only had two real wrecks in seven Mm -hmm. years. Mm -hmm. Um, And so a lot of times it'll be either pain driven problems causing, causing the issues, or it'll be something that's learned behavior. So he Mm -hmm. may have not wanted to work the ranch all day, every day and started bucking people off Mm -hmm. Um, or unhandled horses that people don't want to take on the project of halter breaking, starting and saddle breaking a horse because Mm -hmm. it is, it is expensive. You know, it's about $1,100 on average for a 30 day trainer to work with your horse if we're not doing it in house. Yeah. Which, but I think in the grand scheme of life, $1,100 if you're going to have this horse for a while, is not that much money. Exactly. And and we have really good trainers that we use that we trust. If it's something that's out of my wheelhouse, um, we just dropped off Rooster, the ex-bucking horse, because I was like, this horse is too big for me. My husband works too much. I work too much. It is worth the $1,300 a month for him to go somewhere and become a really great horse mm-hmm. so that he can find his person. True. Amazing. Wow. I've really enjoyed this conversation. I loved it. It was like talking to an old friend and I loved your cat story. And I just really appreciate you being so flexible with me and my crazy schedule. No, it's, it's amazing to to talk to you and it was well worth it. But before we go, um, do you have anything that you would like to share that we didn't touch on? No, I just, if there's any women out there or girls out there who are considering taking a leap for anything, and, and I think you'll, I know I'm preaching to the choir, There's no time but the present. If the people around you don't support your crazy dream, they're not your people. If someone says you can't do it, do it twice as many times and take pictures. That's how the whole Instagram thing started for me because I'm a little spiteful like, yeah, oh, someone says I can't do something, I'm going to double down. Um, So I think just a lot of times as women, we need to get out of our own way and we need to stop gaslighting ourselves and we need to realize how amazing we are and that we can juggle all of the things whether you're a mom, business owner, traveler. Um, and so I just always tell my girlfriends, just go for it. And if the people around you don't support you, they're not your people. Mm-hmm. I hear you. Well, now that just spurs me to have another question. Yeah. Why are you this way? <laughs> I don't know. You know, I was I was raised by really strong women. Um, my parents are amazing. Uh, you know, my grandma worked in the 1940s and 50s. Her mom before her, my, my great-grandma stayed or owned a bar um, in the yes. 1920s. Like, I found out my great-grandpa went to Anamosa Penitentiary for tax evasion and bootlegging in the 20s. Ooh. So I was like, check. even my husband goes, yeah, that checks out. So <laughs> I, I think I just come from a long line of really strong, outspoken women, and I'm really grateful for that. And they're, you know, being a little disruptive is okay. Uh I think so. Disruption is not necessarily a bad thing. We need to shake so. up the norm because most of the time the norm is stagnant and it's just like us just falling into behaviors and systems that we don't agree with anyway. Yes. And and I've never heard the women in my family, like the matriarchs, complain about the patriarchy or anything. I've just always watched them go out and do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and my mom was always juggling so many things. She was an at-risk guidance counselor for teenagers Um, both my siblings are adopted. I mean, my parents are just amazing people. She was an adjunct professor at night. My dad was an ER room nurse to put himself through grad school, business school. So I, I think just watching them be a cohesive unit and team and Mm -hmm. always asking my siblings and I, what do you want to be? What do you want to do? Colin, do you want to be an astronaut? Let's go to Cape Canaveral. Um, so I think no matter what your journey is, it's, and if, if those supportive people aren't your parents, because I know I'm very lucky, go find people that can be in your corner for you. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, all those people are absolutely out there. I grew up with a, a father who was not very like kind, loving, very wounded from his family's generational stuff, but have a, like a rock star of a mom. And she placed us in positions and around people who yeah. expanded the support that we needed. And I look at my other four siblings and they're all like wonderful, successful people. Um, so what you just said is, is so true. I was lucky to have one parent to do that, yeah. but if you don't have even two parents to be that way, there's still hope for you. Well, and and kudos to your mom because she raised an amazing woman, and I know I'm I know I'm fortunate and not the norm to have two amazing parents that are supportive. But you know, I I truly believe I have friends that have come from broken homes. That mm. if you lead with purpose, passion, and the things that you're good at, and you surround yourself with good people, no matter who they are, that are going to lift you up. And you know, my best friend, she mentions my name in rooms in positive ways when I'm not around. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that I had to learn the hard way too as an adult. You know, just because someone says they're your friend doesn't necessarily mean they're your friend. You know. Hmm. Yeah, I think some of my greatest heartbreaks have come from um, female relationships in the, earlier in life, up right. until I was like 26 and 33 now. Um, and I just tend to have. I think that just comes with maturity as well uh, and knowing what yep. you are, who you are. You just attract those people that yep. are meant to be your cheerleaders. And like you said, they mention your names, they recommend you for things and yep. um, be one of those people as yep. well. Like, be a cheerleader. Exactly. And, you know, there's there's nothing good that's going to come from gatekeeping. And mm. I even struggled with the social media stuff because I sort of fell into it because we were leading with our mission and our why. Um, but, you know, I see so many people with questionable principles and stuff that the other thing I've learned is if I just keep my North star as helping horses, helping preserve the Western way of life, mm-hmm. I don't get distracted by the noise. Um, and that's translated well into the rest, rest of my life too. That's beautiful. And obviously I didn't really know you until today, but all of our communication has just felt very authentic and kind and, um, vulnerable, authentic people are very attractive. And I'm glad you're keeping, you know, your, your North star in focus because it's, it's definitely shining bright. <laughs> well, thank you. And likewise, and I just always appreciate the opportunity to talk about the rescues and, and the, all the things I don't know too, you know, that was, <laughs> that was stuff I've learned the hard way, but I still have so much to learn and I'm excited to see what my next chapter is with them. The next step for me, we've closed the trail ride piece Um, I was just tired of owning a business and dealing with customers and, you know, Alex and I are ready to try to start a family. So the next piece for me will be, how can I help horses to help people with the 501c3? So that's, that's sort of the next, next thing on the horizon, whatever that looks like. I'm trying to be open to whatever, whatever comes our way. That's amazing. Well, cowgirl Kate, thanks for being a guest. (laughs) Can you please let everybody know where they can find you and break rescue? Sure. I am really bad about maintaining the Lucky Break page, but at cowgirlkate, cowgirl.c-a-i-t is the best way to get updates on my Instagram. We're also luckybreakrescue.org. And so I just always appreciate the opportunity to talk to another boss lady. Thank you so much, Cindy. And it was just really awesome. It felt like I was talking to a friend. Well, we are friends now, sis. It's official now. (laughs) 
I love it. <laughs> That's why I do her drive everybody so I can make friends. <laughs> I love no, I love it. I love the name. I as soon as you reached out, I was like, hell yes, I am on board. <laughs> well, thank you so much. And I will be seeing you. Awesome. I'll see you soon. Thanks for listening to Her Drive with Cindy Cramblett. If you want to know more about today's guest or know a fascinating woman you'd love for me to interview, please see the show notes, visit Instagram or her-drive.com. And please, 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 if you love the show, leave a review on iTunes. Thanks for riding along and subscribe to join our next woman and her drive to success.